0: Amen. This is not a myth or a legend. This is not something that's been fabricated through history. This is historical fact that the God that we worship became a human being, lived amongst us, lived a perfect life, performed miracles, prophesied his own death, his own burial, and his own resurrection, and all of it came true. We serve a risen Savior, amen? He, he's in the world today, and we know that he has risen because the Bible clearly makes it... St- true, but also not just because the Bible says so. History says so. It's, it's just a documented fact. Um, we're going to read the scripture together this morning, so I want you to read every other slide, okay? I'm going to read the first, and you join me on every other slide. So John chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning, so if you want to join me in your paper Bible or on your iPhone or whatever document you uh, device I mean, and so we're going to read John chapter 5 verse 19. It says, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord. And let's read together on this next slide. But only what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Together, on verse 21... and believes in him who sent, ha, sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Here we go, sorry. All right, it's, go ahead, let's see, hold on. I know what it is. Is that right? here we go, sorry, thank you. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Thanks for your patience with me. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. All right. So, have you ever had your wife or someone ask you, are you listening? Are you listening to what I'm saying? You know, I'm guilty of that. You know, it's it's really a big challenge because your wife is talking to you, and right behind her is ESPN Top 10. How are you supposed to listen when that's going on in the background? I mean, it's just like, it's so hard to focus. It's like, it's just like, you know, in the Lego movie where he goes, I was listening to what you said, but just in case, can you repeat it all over again? <laughs> Everybody know that scene from that movie? Here's, um, here's a few good ones for you. So actually that one's so far away. I'm going to put my glass on and read it here. Um, it says, husbands are the best people to share secrets with because they'll never tell anyone because they aren't, they aren't even listening. Amen. How many wives can say Amen. Amen. Uh, If you can't say something nice, say it to your husband. He's not listening anyway, right? And then this one's my favorite. My wife just stopped and said, you weren't listening to a thing, were you? And I thought, that's a pretty weird way to start a conversation. (laughs) I think only the married men got that one. I'm not sure. So my question this morning and my sermon this morning is, are you listening? Are you listening? You see, there's a difference between hearing and listening. You can hear a conversation happening in another room and may not understand it. But if you're really listening, you're comprehending it as well. You know, we've talked about for the last year or so in, in our church about the chiastic structure in the Bible. And it's a fancy term, but it's really something that's super, super important. And one of the ways I illustrated it is it's kind of like a sandwich. Sandwich starts at the top with bread, and then you got the lettuce and tomato. But the most important part is what? The meat. The meat of the story is in the middle but then you have the other toppings and things like that, and you end with bread again. And that's the way stories are in the Bible. They use, often use a chiastic structure. Um, let me illustrate with just a few things here. Um, so in the beginning of time, you have a piece of paper there near you. And, and, and uh, you can look at this, but this is an abbreviated version of that. So the way that all of history works is man was assigned to keep a garden in the beginning. This is Genesis chapter 3. Watch the chiastic structure here. Man was assigned to keep the garden in the beginning. And then it says, he says, you you shall not eat lest you die. And then it moves on and says, humans decide to be like God and decide right and wrong for themselves. And then Adam and Eve um, are naked and exposed And then man blame shifts. What does he say? It's a wife you gave me, right? And then the woman blame shifts, and she says it was the serpent. And so God curses the serpent and says, you are going to crawl on your belly, and I'm going to crush your head, and I'm going to provide a Savior to come. All right? Now it backs out the same way with the woman again, but she's the one that's cursed with with pain and childbirth. And then the man is cursed with frustrated labor. Work wasn't the curse, but frustrated work was. And then Adam and Eve are are, um, clothed and and there's a covenant and they're covered. And then humans become like God, deciding good and evil for themselves. And of course, they decide wrong all the time. And then you see it ending with uh, the the same type of phrase that the garden is closed right there. and, And then man is expelled and angels guard the tomb. So it starts off with man taking care of the garden. And at the end, it's like it's angels going to take care of the garden and you're expelled from it. And so you see that chiastic structure there. But what is at the very center of that? The serpent is cursed and a savior is promised. That's the core of this story. And really that God sets the tone for all of the Bible, that all the pain and all the suffering that Satan brings to this world will someday, he'll be trampled when a savior comes. And again, that, you have that piece of paper that elaborates it even further. Feel free to take that home. But um, you see this really in the big picture of history, God creates the heaven and earth, right? Then God judges the world with what? Water, what was it? What event is that? Noah's flood, right? And then Abraham um, and is- Abraham, Abraham, God uses him to start the whole nation of Israel, and they're supposed to, as Israel, God's holy people to draw all the nations unto them. And then you see that David ascends to his throne out of the tribes of Israel. And then you see Jesus is buried and dies and rises again. And then Jesus ascends to his throne. See how the parallelism is there? And then Jesus, through the church, says instead of the nations coming to us, we're going to go to the nations. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He, he said, with 12 tribes, we'll draw the nations, but not with 12 apostles, we'll go to the nations. You see the parallel there? And this is the way God's orchestrating all of history. And so God judges the world in the future, with, not with water, but with what? But with fire. And then what does God do? He creates a new heaven and a new earth. You see the structure there? Isn't it beautiful? So it's one thing to sit down and write a poem and have chiastic structure. Or to write a whole book of the Bible and have cast structure. But God has written history with cast structure. Isn't that amazing? And this is proof that the Bible is inspired, but that God is sovereign over everything. And what is the core of the story? The core of all of history. The reason we call it history. It's his story. That 2,000 years ago, in the middle of history, Christ died for our sins and was buried. And he, more importantly, he what? He rose again. He is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And this is, this is you, you, you look at the world just going bananas right now and just going crazy. You think, man, is God in control? You look at history and say, amen, he certainly is control. He definitely is. He, he judged the world thousands of years ago with water and he put a rainbow in the sky and said, I'll never judge the world with water again, which was a great promise. But the other side of the promise is because next time I'm destroying the world, I'm doing it with fire. And he's going to burn the world. He's going to destroy this world. And he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. You know, it's interesting is I I don't have too many original thoughts, to be honest. I, I do a lot of studying. I listen to a lot of things. I read a lot of commentaries. I listen to a lot of other preachers. And I just try to study as best I can and figure out what's right with this scripture. And every now and then I might have an original thought. So the other day, I woke up about an hour before my alarm clock, and I'm like, I don't want to go back to sleep because you know how that feeling is. If you go back to sleep an hour, then you're like, when the alarm does go up, then you're like, oh man, like what train just hit me? And so I'm laying there in bed thinking, you know, I'm just going to meditate and pray about what I'm preaching this Sunday. And I started thinking about this whole chiastic structure thing and how it's such a big deal in the Bible. And I thought, you know what? If God does that through all of history, maybe he does that with our life. And I, and I started thinking about that, and, and I came up with this, and I'm sure maybe someone else has done this also somewhere. But this is what the kind of, I feel like the Lord gave me. It says, You know, you start the world, you, you come into the world, and, and you're helpless, right? And, and someone else feeds you, and then you, you struggle to walk, and you're gonna fall a few times, but you're learning to do it. And then you learn to play dodgeball, and you enjoy playing, and playing is your big deal in life, but then you trade in playing for work, and you start working. and and you're working, and you're single, and then you meet a spouse, and so life is about you and your spouse, and then God may bless you with children, and children are now the center of your life, you know? But then someday, the children grow up and go away, and guess what? You're right back to you and your spouse, and then you basically have the last few years of your work, and then instead of playing dodgeball, you're playing dominoes, you know? And then, as you get older, you struggle to walk and then someone else is feeding you and then at the end, you're helpless. God has this chiastic structure everywhere, doesn't he? And I, I really believe this is the way he's fit. But if you think about it from this standpoint, what is the very center, the core of life? It's your family. It's your family. Life is about you and your spouse. You, you, it was you and your spouse before kids. It'll be you and your spouse after kids. But do a good job raising those kids because... Uh, Ephesians says that what you're picturing in your marriage is not just how two people can be happy, but how Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. And as the bride adores her husband, it's a picture of the church praising and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that you should worship your husband, but that that relationship of two equals, yet loving one another for all eternity is a picture of Jesus Christ. That's why it is such a big deal that they are messing with marriage today. They're saying it's anybody with anybody, and and now they're going with different numbers of people and all kinds of crazy stuff. They are messing with the gospel. The gospel is a man loving a woman and them coming together in beautiful harmony and giving life. That's the picture that is the gospel. And when the world does all this other stuff, they're distorting the gospel. That's what this is about. This isn't about, oh, I just want to be happy and express myself and find my full identity. No, it's about throwing your fist in the face of God and saying, I do not believe the gospel. I do not believe that Jesus is the bridegroom, and I don't believe that the church is the bride, and I don't think this illustration of marriage has anything to do with me. I want to do what I want to do. I want my own gospel. I'm gonna save myself. I'm gonna find fulfillment and joy in what I want to do. Instead of realizing your identity is you're a child of God, it's my identity is whatever I feel like I might be. And it's just sad, but that's where it is. Satan is attacking the gospel, and this is what's the center of history. So, in John chapter 5, the, basic, the core of the whole message is Jesus is claiming to be God, and he's also claiming to be your only hope of living forever. Now, let me just review this doctrine in case you're wondering, well, I know Jesus is a good teacher, but is he really God? Well, let's just go back to the beginning of his life. It says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, which is a miracle in itself, right? Okay, virgins don't have babies, but unless it's God's involved, right? And and the Mormons teach it that God, the Heavenly Father, actually got physically involved with Mary. That's baloney. And that's blasphemy. It was a miracle of conception with the seed of the woman alone. Okay, and so the Holy Spirit caused that conception to take place. And so and it says, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God. God with us. Not an anointed teacher with us. Not a great example with us. Not a great prophet with us. But it is God with us. That's what the Bible is clearly teaching. And then. You go to John chapter 1, a little bit, a few chapters earlier. It says, in the beginning, talking about the beginning of time. Notice he's paralleling Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and and the Word Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? And then in verse 14 it says, and the Word, which means the Logos, the the, the mind of God, became flesh. Okay? So the, the Word was God. And the word became flesh. Who was that talking about? It's all Jesus. It goes on to say in that passage, And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So it, here in John chapter 5, just a few verses earlier of what we read, it says, And the Jews were seeking more to kill him. You see, they wanted to kill him because he healed a guy on the Sabbath. And now they want to kill him even more. Guess why? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself what? equal with God. We see we believe in one God who expresses himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all equal. There isn't like major God, minor God, and lesser God. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. They believe God the Father is almighty God and Jesus is just mighty God. But Jesus calls himself the almighty God in the book of Revelation. So they're wrong on that. So when if, if you say that God is your father, which no Jew ever said, they never referred, to, they said he was the father of the nation, but no Jew would ever say, my father. But Jesus said, my father, making himself equal with God. Because my son, Adrian, okay, he's my firstborn, he's my oldest, he's 35 years old, he's equal with me as a human being, isn't he? Is he less of a person than I am? So if he claims I'm his father, and he's claiming equal humanity and equality by saying that he's with me there. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here as well. They wanted to kill him. The Jews understood fully what Jesus was saying. He's committing blasphemy. He's saying he's equal with God. If anybody tells you Jesus is less than God, they're not understanding the Bible the way Jesus clearly spoke it and the way that it was written. Philippians 2 says, have this mind among yourselves which is in yours and in Christ Jesus, who though he was in, form, in the form of God, did not Count equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, Jesus didn't say, well, I have to try to be like God. No, he already had equality with God. He didn't have to grasp for it and try to attain to it. Um, One time, one famous pastor's wife here in Houston said, when Jesus was baptized, that's when the Holy Spirit filled him and he became like God. (laughs) That's blasphemy. Jesus always had it. He didn't have to fight for it or reach for it or be baptized to get it. He always had it. It was not something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So what Jesus did, he was God on the throne, and he came down and became a human being like one of us. Now what he did was like this. So let's say I want to play my grandson Zane in basketball. Okay, he doesn't stand a chance because I'm six foot two and he's two foot six, and so there's not even a, there's not even a chance there. Okay, but what I could do is get on my knees. And play left-handed with my right hand tied behind my back. So we'll play that way. And we'll play on his little nerve hoop or something like that. Okay? And you say, well, Gary, why are you doing that? Well, I can't. I can't do that. What do you mean you can't? I thought there was nothing you can't do. Well, I'm choosing to put myself in a position where I'm lower to be equal with other people. And so whenever you see anything in the Bible where it says Jesus can't do this or doesn't do this, it's because he's put himself in the form of a servant. You see, he ultimately could, but he's choosing not to. And that's what we have to understand about the scripture here. And so if you look at this chapter that we just read, there's, here's the chiastic structure. And I apologize. I that's that big enough to read back there, Emmanuel? Can you read that? Okay, good, because that's not big enough. So I'm going to read off of this. So it starts off by saying, the Son can do nothing. And the chapter ends with what? The Son can do nothing. Now, again, is Jesus God? Yes, When he says he can't do anything without God, it's like me saying, I'm not gonna make it I can't make any purchase without talking to Tammy. Now, could I go swipe my card and buy something? Yes, I'm fully capable of doing that. But I choose to talk to Tammy before I make financial purchases. So when I say I can't do that without I can't buy this card without talking to my wife, am I limited physically from doing it? No. It's meaning I'm meaning I'm choosing to do it that way. Jesus is choosing to do this. And then The next thing we see in this chapter, it says, And greater works than these shall be done, that you may marvel. And at the end, then towards the end, he says, don't marvel at this. There's bigger things to come that you can marvel at. And then he goes on to say, "Man, I'm having a hard time with this. For as the father, uh, man, there's got to be a better way of this. Hold on, I know what to do. You see the next verse there? Okay, so let me actually read off the screen. There we go. Hello. Wake up, Gary. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And then the, what's the other part of the sandwich there? For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son also to have life in himself and has given authority to ex- execute judgment. And so what's interesting there is you're like, which, what is he talking about? Life or judgment? Life or judgment? It's both because you cannot separate the two, okay? If you hire someone to do a job at your business, but they decide to do something else, you're gonna judge them and say, hey, I hired you to do this, but you're over here talking and doing this. Sound familiar? (laughs) Looking at you. (laughs) Uh, They're off here doing, doing something different. And you're like, you have a right to judge them because you're the one that hired them to put them in that position. God has given you life. And when you're off doing something else besides glorifying Him, you're, you, He's in a position where He can judge you. He's the one that gave you life, and He will be the judge of your life. Someone's calling to find what time church starts, I guess. All right. Um, let's see here. And they disconnected me. So then He goes on to say, uh, let me go, go to the next slide for me, Matt. All right. So then, what's at the very middle of this? Truly, truly, and how many times he th- So back then, uh, they didn't have exclamation points. So if you really wanted to imp- make something important, you'd say it twice. In fact, if you wanted to say something really, really, really important, you would say it three times. That's why the Bible doesn't say God is love, 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 or, or good, good, good. It says he's Holy, 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 which tells you it's the most important thing about him. But here it says, truly, truly, Jesus is saying, Hey, if you haven't been listening to anything I said, if you just woke up, please listen to this. I say to you that whoever hears my word, and then he says in verse 25, truly, truly, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. What's the main point of this passage we just read? Here. Are you listening? And I'm not just talking to the husbands. Are you listening this morning? 13-year-old, are you listening? 27-year-old, are you listening this morning? I want you, if you don't get anything else out this morning, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus and find out what he is saying to us this morning. Are we listening? Are we hearing? And what's funny is we go through life and we don't listen to God. We do all the things we have to do. And have you ever noticed we don't like silence? It's awkward. We're in the car, and we start the car, put on our seatbelt, and what do we have to do? Turn the radio on. We don't like silence. Because when we're left alone with our thoughts, guilt creeps in. We start feeling bad for how much we've messed up our life. We start thinking of the stupid things we've done, how we've hurt other people. And the thoughts we've had. And the selfishness we've had. And we don't like silence. But the psalmist said. Be still. And know that I'm God. Turn it off the radio. Get off your phone. Turn off the TV. Get on your knees. Just listen to God. Hear what he has to say. I'm t- challenging you this morning. To hear what he has to say. And we're going to go through this this morning. And. and I want to know, are you listening this morning? There's four things here. and We're going to go through them very quickly. I want you to behold the obedience of Jesus. I want you to marvel at the resurrection of Jesus. I want you to avoid the judgment of Jesus. And I want you to hear the voice of Jesus. First of all, behold the obedience of Jesus. It says in verse 19, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord. Again, he's choosing to cooperate with the Father. So he could have done it on his own, but he chooses not to. He wants to be a team and work with his Heavenly Father. But watch this. Only what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. You see, God became human flesh. And then that human, he's put on limitations on himself. And he's saying, I can't. So when Jesus did the miracles... Was it Jesus doing the miracles or Jesus being a human being totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God to do the miracles? It's an interesting question that theologians are debating. But Jesus is saying, I am totally dependent upon the Father. And whatever I see him doing, which means he's watching his Father move and work, then he does it likewise. And watch this. Why does he do that? Because my Father loves me and I love him. And Have you ever watched a little kid just watch their daddy work and just like, oh man, I want to be like my dad. That's what Jesus was doing. And he's 30 years old and he's doing this. He's watching his dad and he wants to be just like him because he loves his dad and and his dad loves him. And because his father loves him, he shows him what he's doing. Now don't don't miss this. Does the father love us? Did you know he's showing you what he's doing? God is at work. In fact, one of the things they got upset at Jesus about was, The the Jewish philosophers thought, well, does God obey the law? I guess so. He has to obey the law. So therefore, God obeys the Sabbath. Okay. So if if there's no work on the Sabbath, that means God's not working on the Sabbath. Let me tell you, if that was true, the whole universe would implode. Okay. And that's why Jesus said, my father always works and is working up till now. And they're like, blasphemy. God the Father does not work on the Sabbath. He'd be breaking the Sabbath. And he's like, no, Sabbath is for man. God works all the time. And then you know what Jesus said? And I work all the time too. I heal on the Sabbath. You know what? What is he saying there? I'm God. If, God defi- if man rests on the seventh day, but God doesn't, and he's saying, but the Sabbath doesn't apply to me either. In fact, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So they, he was really blowing their minds here with all this thinking. And he, but here, get this. If the Father loves Jesus and shows him what he's doing... Doesn't the Father also love you? And if you will watch and you will listen, he's going to show you where he's at work. And we're supposed to join him there. Uh, Huckabee wrote a book called Experiencing God and he talks about this very thing. recommend you read that. Uh, But Look and see what God is doing and join him there and watch God at work and pray that God would lead you into his will to, to follow him there and to do what he wants you to do. So Jesus lives in harmony with his father's plans. Jesus watched to see what his father's doing and Jesus worked like his father. And that's what he sets an example for us to do. That we're supposed to be in, fa- in harmony with the father's plans. Not our plans. You see, write out your list of things to do and wait, your, your five-year plan, your life goals, all stuff, write it all out, nice and neat, take a good look at it, and tear it up and throw it in the trash can. And say, God, what do you want me to do? And then rewrite it. And open, say, here, my life is yours, not my will, but yours be done. Live in, and then watch and see what God does and join him there. And then work with your Father. So the second point here is to marvel at the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus is healing people and he's doing it on the Sabbath and doing all kinds of crazy things. He's like, hey, you think this is cool? Man, there's greater things than this. There's greater works that are to come. And he says, and he, and he, says he will show him so that you may marvel. Okay, so Jesus did the miracles he did so that people would be like, oh, what is that? So they would stop and see what's happening. That's what marvel means, to look at that. It's not necessarily a comic book. It means to stop and look and see what God is doing. And so he says, So what are the greater works? Well, again, let's look at the parallelism here because of the chiastic structure. Go down to verse 28 where he says, Marvel again. He said, no, Don't marvel at that. Me healing a blind man on the Sabbath is nothing. Here, watch what's happened. The hour's going to come when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Man, you talk about a miracle. We're not just all raising Lazarus or a little girl who died, we're talking every graveyard that has a believer in it boom, coming up out. When Jesus comes again with the shout of the archangel and he, the dead in Christ shall rise first as we read before. In fact, let's read it again. First Thessalonians 4, four sixteen. For the Lord himself will descend with, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, this is super important. Do all dead rise from the dead at this point in time? No, only those who are in Christ. Is everybody in Christ? No. Does God want everybody to be in Christ? Yes. But do people reject Jesus Christ? Yes. You know, by the grace of God, when I was nine, I received Christ as my Savior, and I was born again. And I've been in Christ ever since then. Not because I've stayed in Christ, because I'm a good boy, because he's kept me in his arms. He's held on to me. He's made me eternally secure because he loves me. And therefore, I'm in Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? If you, if you are going to live beyond the grave and be resurrected like Jesus was, you need to be in Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior. It says that they shall rise first. And then compare this to Revelation chapter 20. It says, but the rest of the dead. So those who are in red." In, re, in Christ are raised at the rapture when Christ returns and and he appears in the clouds and we go up to join him there. What happens? Everybody else is dead. Watch this. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. See, Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom. He rules on this planet Earth for 1,000 years. And at the end of the thousand years, everybody else who was not saved, then they are raised. This is the... So if you're saved, you're part of the first resurrection... And blessed and he is holy is part of that first resurrection. You don't want to be part of the second resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 says, But now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruit. In other words, he's the down payment or the symbol of what's going to happen of those who slept or died. And what is it? In Christ will all be made alive. Again, are you in Christ? So back to our passage here in John chapter 5. It says, But each in his own order, Christ the first fruit. Sorry, I'm still in... First uh, Corinthians. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruit, and afterwards they who are Christ's at his coming. Then is the end when he delivers the kingdom. So Jesus Christ rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, and he says at the end of the world, which we're coming now, the end of time, it says that we will be raised from the dead when he comes again and delivers his kingdom. We are to marvel at the resurrection. There's nothing more important than the resurrection. I, I love basketball, and it's amazing to watch what some people can do with the ball and some of the passes they make and some of the amazing feats, but I don't marvel at that like I marvel at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everyone can marvel at that. We, people like to marvel at science and what they're accomplishing and all that stuff like that. God knew all this before he created the world. We need to marvel at him, and Easter means that we have a future and a hope. COVID-19 doesn't have the last word. Cancer doesn't have the last word. The funeral doesn't have the last word. Divorce doesn't have the last word. Easter means that we have a future and a hope and that Jesus has the last word. The world likes to say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Someone actually said that in the Bible. But Easter says, love, serve, and give, for someday we will live forever. Amen. Big difference between the, the philosophy of Christians and the philosophy that the world wants to put into your mind. The world says, you know what, you, life is short, do all you can, have all the fun you can, party like a wild man, because someday you're going to die. The Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible says give your life away, serve others, make sacrifices, because someday you're going to live forever. You can enjoy it and party later with Jesus for, for eternity, or you can party this long and suffer for eternity without God in hell. Which would you rather live for? Would you like to live for this or live for eternity? The choice is very clear as Jesus makes it. So next thing is here, we need to behold the obedience of Jesus. And we saw how much he works with the Father. We need to marvel at the resurrection of Jesus. And then we need to avoid the judgment of Jesus. Again, look at this whole passage we just read and see how many times the word judge or judgment or judges is there. Would you say that's a theme of this passage? And you know, Christianity today wants a fluffy Jesus who might as well be the Easter bunny and just like, just feel good, have your best life now, everybody be happy, I don't want to cause any ruffles, whatever. But Jesus says, judgment, judgment, judgment. If you knew, if you knew, if, if someone came, if a police officer came to your door this afternoon and served you with papers and said, you need to appear before Judge Smith 28 days from now, Because you're going to be on trial, are you going to take that message seriously? Are you going to lawyer up and start putting together your facts and your documents and get ready for that judgment day, or are you just going to say, oh, no, I don't really believe in all that stuff? (laughs) Jesus has issued a subpoena and says a judgment day is coming. Are you going to be ready for it? And the good news is, even though you're guilty, he's paid the price. See, we can avoid the judgment. It says, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. For the, you see, and why? Why would the Heavenly Father delegate all judgment to Jesus? Watch this. And it says in verse 27, it answers the question in the parallelism there. It says, and he has given authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Did you know that Jesus used this title to refer to himself more than any other? Dozens of times he called himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man, which sounds like that sounds like less than the Son of God. Not to the Jews it didn't. To the Jews, the Son of God, Son of Man, came right out of prophecy in Daniel. The Jews were looking for a Messiah, and they knew, and they knew that would be a representation of God, but they didn't realize he'd be God himself. Okay. Daniel seven thirteen says, "In the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man." They knew that this was a glorified person that was to be worshipped, and so when Jesus says, "I'm the Son of Man," he knew that they were quoting. He was quoting Daniel, and they they knew that that was blasphemy there. And it says, unto him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. Bow down before him because he is their judge. To the Jew that was confusing because Psalm 50 verse 6 says, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. All the Old Testament is that God is judge. Jehovah is our judge. Jehovah is our judge. And Jesus steps up and says, you know God the Father, he told me I'm the judge. Which means I'm God too. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He made it abundantly clear that Jesus himself was going to join, be the judge of the world. And he even says why. The word that right there means, here's why God made Jesus the judge. So that all may honor the Son. See, that's what it's all about. It's about honoring Jesus Christ. Every good dad wants their son to excel even if it's at their own expense that's why dads will sacrifice their savings their time their effort so their son can excel and our heavenly father has sacrificed everything so that his son would be the one that'd be lifted up and would be glorified and he says whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father he says you jews worship god but here i am and you're not honoring me so guess what because you're not honoring me, you're not honoring God because I am God. To not honor the Son of God is not to honor the Father either. So, how do you avoid the judgment of God? You trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Watch this here. We're supposed to behold the obedience of Jesus, marvel at the resurrection of Jesus, that not only his resurrection, but the resurrection to come. We avoid the judgment. How do we do it? By hearing his voice. Again, I go back to the beginning. Are you listening? Are you listening? Pay attention because you need to hear this. John chapter five, verse 24 says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, what is the word? The word of God, Jesus' words, and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Notice the word has there. It does not say will have. The moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the moment that you're born again, you have eternal life now. It is within you. This body needs to catch up. This body will be uh, resurrected and glorified later. But if you are saved, eternal life is in you right here, right now. Do you know what most religions that claim to be Christians say if you ask them? Well, are you going to heaven when you die? Well, I hope so. Well, I'm trying. I don't really know. It's up to God. He's the judge. The Bible says you can have eternal life now. 1 John, it says, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. I know I have eternal life. Don't take that as an arrogant statement. I know I have eternal life because Jesus said so. I know I have eternal life not because I'm a good person, but Jesus was good. I know that I have eternal life because I accepted the free gift. He paid for the gift. He bought it. On Christmas morning, when you give kids gifts, they go, look at this gift. I'm an amazing kid. Look at me. No, they're like, man, look at my parents. Look at the gift they gave me. To be confident of your salvation is not to be arrogant. But that's what the world thinks. They're like, oh, you Christians, you think you're better than us. You're holier than now, and all that stuff. No, no. Jesus is amazing. I'm just a filthy sinner, just like everybody else. Can you receive him too? And you, you share the gospel with an incredibly humble attitude. How many of you remember your Texas history? William Barrett Travis. known for drawing a line in the sand and said everyone who stands with Texas cross the line and to a man every single one of them cross the line today Jesus is drawing a line in the sand and saying will you hear my voice will you cross the line will you believe in me it says right here that if you believe in him you have eternal life and you do not come into judgment but you are passed from death over to life you've crossed the line And notice it starts with, he that hears my word. Can someone be saved without the scriptures? They cannot. Paul tells us in Romans that, that faith comes by, help me here, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, the word of God is the seed that he plants in our hearts. And then it gives life. We are supposed to hear the voice of Jesus. Jesus says, truly, truly. In other words, this is so important that I say to you, "The hour of coming, and it's right here, it's right now, that the dead, see, now think about this. Jesus is saying, he's not talking about a future rapture or resurrection or any of that. He's saying it's right here, right now. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. He's talking about people who are spiritually dead. Now, I'm not twisting the scriptures here. Just see what Paul said about it. Paul says in Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, a lost person in God's eyes is spiritually dead. And Jesus says, I'm, the, de- the time is now where I'm gonna speak, and if the dead will hear, they will come to life. Talking about spiritually. So I, my... I'm pleading with you that the core of this mas- message right here this morning is hear what Jesus is saying. I know some of you have grown up in church. And you're like, oh, this is the same thing. I've heard this before. I've heard this before. And you're basically going, blah, 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 blah. I, I see your voice, move- your lips moving, Gary, but all I hear is blah, blah, blah. Because I've heard all this before. You know what? You're in a dangerous position. In fact, most Americans are in a dangerous position. 76% of Americans claim to be born-again Christians. <laughs> if that, That's got to be the most ridiculous statistic I've ever heard. You know it, right? How many people do you know claim to be Christians and live like the devil? And again, I'm not like knocking them. I'm, I'm talking about that would be me. But Jesus warned us in John chapter, I mean Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, that on that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? and Do all these things. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. You could be in the room this morning and say, oh yeah, I know Jesus, I know Jesus. Does your life show it? Is Jesus a convenient addition to your life or the consuming addiction of your life? Like, where you love him more than anything else, and you want to live for him. I'm not asking, are you religious? I'm not asking, have you been baptized? I'm asking, are you listening, and do you hear the voice of God? Has he spoken to you, and you've been born again, and you've been saved? You see, Jesus, Jesus lived the life that you should have lived, but you didn't. Think about that. You're nowhere near good enough to go to heaven. If you think you are, you've got another thing coming. You, you, you couldn't be more wrong. But Jesus also died the death that you should have died so that you could be forgiven. And praise God, Jesus rose from the dead so that you could live forever with him. This is our only hope. This is what Easter, Resurrection Sunday is all about. I want you all to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. And I want you to listen. Listen like you've never listened before. Paul says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Does the Holy Spirit this morning confirm, yes, you're a child of God? Or are you troubled right now? Does this bother you right now? Gary deserved to be on the cross. We all deserve to be on the cross. Those nails should have been through my hands and my feet because of the things I've done, the sins that I've committed. But Jesus took them all. Jesus took them all. He buried them all in the grave, and he rose again, leaving them all behind so that you and I could be forgiven. Do you trust him this morning? Is that what your hope is? If if you've never received Christ your Savior, do so right here, right now, this morning. You need to just reach out to him in your heart. You could pray a prayer something like this. No magic words, but just in your heart. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I thank you that you died in my place. I give my life to you right here, right now. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive all my sins. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer, I would like for you to let me know about it. I want to help you with your next steps to, to knowing Christ and living for him. Right now, we're going to transition into communion. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, so you can stretch your legs, and we're going to go into communion time. Communion is taking the broken body of Christ and basically us coming together and being the body of Christ. So if you are part of the body of Christ, you're welcome to participate If you're not, you're not really sure, there's no problem. There's no shame. Nobody's going to bother you. You just stay in your seat and just kind of watch what this church does because it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. 1 Corinthians 15 lays out the order for communion. It says, For I have received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you. This came straight from Paul, which came straight from Jesus, that the Lord Jesus, in the same night that he was betrayed, took bread. And giving thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, the cup of wine, also after supping, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And he tells us why. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show, which means to demonstrate or to remember, you're going through a memorial there, the Lord's death t- until he comes. So that who, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily. the Lord, you just kind of go through the motions. You're like, oh, it's no big deal, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Don't do that. He says, if you do that, you'll be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So what you should do instead is let a man examine himself and then or so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks condemnation or discipline or judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So is this serious? It certainly is. It says, for this cause, many among you are weak and sickly and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna um, uh, take time to silently just confess our sins, Lord, make sure that we're right with him. If you've not been saved, trust him right now to be your savior. But let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that Jesus died and was buried, and we remember that today. This is the forgiveness of our sins. Easter is the resurrection of our sins and then a resurrection of our life, but we're remembering right now what He did for us, and He promised that He will do this again when He returns to earth. We ask that you would open our hearts, help us to be open and honest in our conversation with You. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a song as you meditate and not just to kill time, but so that you could be thinking about the Lord and what he's done. You may be seated. And then what I want you to do is when you've, after you've had a conversation with the Lord, you can come up here and there's two families that are serving communion to us this morning and they're doing it with gloves and things like that. So you'll be able to take that with COVID precautions in place. But right now, I want you to meditate on this song and let it speak to you so you can fully adore Jesus as the one who died for us. And when you're ready, you can come forward after you've spoken to the Lord. words. for the Lord's salvation that he's providing. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, let let me go through some announcements here. Uh, Exciting. Next Sunday, uh, Chauncey Doles will be with us. We are in the process of seeing if if God's working us out where he might be our worship leader. And he's a student up at uh, Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. And so I've had some talks with him. I went up there to see him and had lunch with him. And he's a great guy, loves the Lord. And uh, he's going to come down this week and he's gonna have rehearsal with the band, and then he's gonna lead worship for us on Sunday morning, and then we're just gonna pray and see what God does. If, if and then if that works out really good, then we'll bring him back for the summer to be our summer worship leader, an uh, intern, and then we'll see the next step. Then we would be bring him on full time, Lord willing. So hey, if you're a guest here today. We want, you, we want to give you a t-shirt. So if you'll fill out that Connect card, just letting us know who you are. There's Connect cards at the table out there. And Amanda and Charles will be back there to give you a t-shirt. Got a lot of choices there. Some really cool t-shirts with some scripture on it. If you want one of these t-shirts of your own, just because you don't have one yet, they're only $10 donation there. Um, we have some missionaries that are in our, our fellowship. Uh, we don't support them readily, but I got a letter from one of them. And uh, this pastor in, uh, or missionary in Chile, uh, this person was, do- was selling a piece, big piece of property and they wanted to buy it. And the lady said, well, since you're a church, I'm going to discount it 18%. And she brought it down tremendously. So they went to the bank, but they did not get approved. And now the lady is saying, okay, well, I have to sell this. He said, and she's like, if you can let me know in 30 days whether you're going to buy it or not. So what they're trying to do is raise twenty-two thousand dollars to buy the property since they can't get a loan, and they're asking churches the thousands of churches that are in our fellowship of churches if each church would just give a hundred bucks. So if you're willing to pitch in ten of that hundred, or five, or twenty bucks, or whatever, just just uh, text that to Bob Foe, Robert Foe at email, or you can find instructions at the table there on how you can give. If everybody chips in a little bit, we can easily do this, and if all the churches in our fellowship do it, they can buy that property which God has honored. Uh, open up the door for them to possibly do um, we want to expand our children's ministry as uh, we do so with precautions but we're going to need more help to do so so if you would like to join the team contact my wife Tammy and she can put you on the schedule either once a month or once every other month if you would like to help with that um, life groups it's good to see them getting back going because COVID had shut them down in a serious way but they're all resuming this week as far as I know so there's one in Santa Fe on Wednesday nights, and then there's one every Thursday. Uh, the Caneheads heads right here down in Texas City. And then there's one that the uh, Dements and the Avalas take turns. This week is, which home is it this week? Dements, Okay, the Dements right back there if you need instructions of that. So join one of those life groups. If none of those work for you because of the time or location, start one. I will help you, and we will get you going on that. Hey, this Saturday, we're going to have a men's prayer breakfast here. The last one was just truly amazing, and we're going to—actually, no, it's not here. Sorry, it's a, it's a Dements house also, so we'll see you Thursday and Sunday. Uh, th- this Thursday, uh, this Saturday at, at the 8 a.m. at Greg's house, there's the address there. You can see him for more de- details. Um, Again, we're just going to continue to practice precautions. Master encouraged, but not required. Be sure to sanitize. If anybody here tests positive this week, please let me know. That means we will not have church next Sunday, so we can be cautious about that. So, hey, it's time for question and answer. And actually, last week was crazy. There was two questions, and I couldn't answer either one of them. I just totally blew me away. God's definitely trying to keep me humble, so that's not a problem there. Um, I'll do my best. But anyway, last week, Amanda asked this question about Moses. And it's a really unusual scripture, but it caught me off guard. And I I hadn't heard this story in a long time. So I had to go back and study up on it. And I spent 14 hours. No, just kidding. Anyway, (laughs) Exodus chapter four, verse 24 says, at a lodging place on the way. So God was telling Moses, go back and talk to Pharaoh. So on the way, they stopped at a hotel six, motel six, right? On the way. And the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. So he's going, but on the way, God's like, okay, you're in trouble, dude. And he made him so sick, we, most people think he was, he was sick or something, he's about to die, okay? And then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint, which is basically a really sharp rock, and cut off the, her son's foreskin, she did a circumcision basically for his, her son, and touched Moses' feet with it, and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. What in the world is that talking about? Uh, after I explain it, you'll be like, oh, wow, that makes perfect sense. I think the reason people have a hard time with it is because we don't know Jewish culture. It'd be kind of like to you if, uh, if I said, uh, Isaiah and I went to uh, Minute Maid Park to go see the Astros play, but they were playing the Dodgers, so we didn't get to see it. You'd be like, oh, that means it was sold out because then, then, Dodgers is real popular and you got there expecting tickets. And, but there's things you read between the lines because you know our culture. Um, that probably wasn't the best analogy. But what happened here was, um, so Moses had two sons. One was circumcised, the other wasn't. And they're all supposed to be circumcised. This was a point of disobedience. And Zipporah was like another pastor in Numbers says, Zipporah didn't like the whole idea of circumcision. So no, no, not my son, not my son. And Moses, like a lot of men, kind of acquiesced to his wife because they didn't want to make waves instead of just being the man in the house and say, no, you're going to do it. So along the way, God's like, okay, you still haven't taken care of business. I've given you all this time and now you're halfway there. And I'm not letting you go any farther until you take care of what this symbol, the symbol of circumcision is you're my chosen people. And how can you say to Pharaoh, we're God's chosen people. Let us go when your own son hasn't been circumcised. And that's what this is about. So she's like, all right, I'll do it. So she does it and she takes the, the foreskin and, she, and the Bible says she touched his feet with it. No, the Hebrew says she threw it at his feet. So there you go. And now it's like you're my husband all over again because of blood. Blood made you my husband this time. So she has her little hissy fit and throws it at his feet and says, okay, you bloody husband, you. That's what she's basically saying here, okay? So bizarre passage. The bio, it's interesting Everybody in the Bible, there's no real heroes in the Bible except Jesus. Have you noticed that? If you were going to create a religion like Islam or Buddhism, whatever, all the heroes would be like, they did this and they were perfect. And, they this. and have you noticed everybody in the Bible is a jerk? Like everybody. Peter's a jerk. David's a jerk. Moses is a jerk. Abraham, they're all stupid idiots. The only hero in the Bible is Jesus. Because the Bible's about messed up people who are loved by a Jesus. That's what the Bible's about. So, when, Anyway, I'm, I'm going to get off the track here. So, Anyway, here's another question. Patrick asked this one. This is an awesome question. And I, I, I've read this a hundred times and never noticed this before. So the question was, was Pharaoh the firstborn? And if so, why didn't he die in the 10th plague? Because kings were usually the firstborn in the family. So why did he not die? Well, the answer's right there in the scriptures. Because God had told him a few chapters earlier he said, for by now I could have put my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. He's talking to Pharaoh. He says, I could have already killed you by now, but here's why. But for this purpose, in other words, I'm making you an exception, an exemption. I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. He says to Pharaoh, you should have already died in some one of these plagues, but I've, set you aside and raised you up and said, I'm not killing you because I want you to see everything I'm doing, including the death of your own firstborn son. So he was the exception to the rule. So great question, Patrick. Um, all right, let's see what other questions people might have texted in. All right. Someone from Arkansas was just saying, um, they had communion along with us this morning. Great. Um, uh, Sonia says, we want to thank everyone for loving us genuinely through this ordeal. Uh, her husband, Alvin, fell off a roof and broke eight ribs and punctured a lung and all kinds of other problems. So, and you guys have been great. You guys have given cash and given meals and all kinds of stuff and loved her. So we appreciate that. Um, here's another, uh, let's see, another unique example of chiasc structure, computer code. The most important operation shows up in the middle of the huge programs. All right? That's interesting. She didn't know that. Question from last week. How do we know that there were a thousand years between the specific people you mentioned, Adam to Abraham? Okay, Um, we don't know that there was exactly a thousand, but what you do is you go back and add up the genealogies. It says, and -and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and he lived 716 years. And -and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and he lived so many years. And if you add up the overlap of their lives and touch them like that, like not end-to-end, but the overlap it gets to be approximately 1,000 years. So it's, I don't think it's exactly 1,000 years, um, but that's a great question. It's based on the genealogies. Um, the Earth, I believe, is approximately 7,000 years old. Okay? Um, and, uh, well, I won't get off on that. It, so, because... I will. I'm going to get off on that. Um, so look at this. Evolutionists think the Earth is how old? Billions of years old. Okay? But what is a, what is a comet... It's a giant snowball that's traveling through space, right? And they're melting. In fact, there was one comet that was supposed to come by last year that didn't because when it got close enough to the sun, it totally just went away and melted, okay? Wait a minute. And we know how fast these comets approximately dissolve because every time they come back by, their tails are a little bit smaller. Sometimes the head of them are a little bit smaller. And we know that they only live a few thousand years, So if the Earth's billions of years old, and all of it started with the Big Bang, and the Big Bang created all these comets, why are comets lasting billions of years? They're not. They only last a few thousand years old, and so therefore the Earth can only be a few thousand. Let me give you another one. Because NASA thought that the Earth was billions of years old, they know that that dust falls from our atmosphere, from outer space falls on our Earth, okay? and. If we could go somewhere on the planet where that dust has not been touched and measure it, because we know about, it falls approximately an eighth of an inch every thousand years. If we could, we could go somewhere on earth and find a big stack of it that hasn't been touched. Well, there's nowhere on earth that's not been touched where the wind hasn't blown or it hasn't been rained on or whatever. But guess where you can go where the dust hasn't been touched? The moon, because the moon shares our atmosphere, okay, or proximity. And so they thought, oh, when we get to the moon, man, it's gonna be like this deep. So you remember the Apollo 13 module had snow boots on it? Big disks that landed like this so it wouldn't sink into several feet of dust. And then when Neil Armstrong went down the ladder, the ladder only went down part way and he had to jump the rest of the way because guess what? The dust was only an inch and three quarters, which is the equivalent of 7,000 years. The earth is not billions of years old. The moon is not billions of years old. Science is on our side. It's not, we, don't, we don't have to go by faith. We have to make a choice between faith and science. Faith and science merge. The Bible is not as old as they want to say. When did God, God's nation go from being called Israel and Hebrews to Jews? Okay, so um, they actually all three are still in place. Let me make sure I say this right. I'm an American. That's my nationality. I am Caucasian. That's my ethnicity. I am a Christian. That's my religion. Hebrew, Jew, Israel. Israel's a nationality. Hebrews, their ethnicity. Judaism is their religion. So all three terms go together. So there isn't, didn't want, one didn't replace the other. Um, great question. Um, some people say, should Christians be celebrating Easter since it's a pagan holiday? Great, great question. And I get this all the time. Every year, some churches actually will say Resurrection Sunday instead of saying Easter Sunday. Because the word Easter cr- comes from the goddess Ishtar okay? So pagans worship Ishtar, Ishtar, but then when the Catholic Church came in there, they're like, let's turn your religion into where you're worshiping Jesus instead of Ishtar, and we'll call it Easter, okay? Now, I don't like the beginnings of all that, but nobody thinks of Ishtar when we say Easter. <laughs> say, hey, you want to come over to our house Sunday for Easter? Oh, I don't do Ishtar, the pagan goddess. <laughs> nobody thinks that, okay? Let me ask you, have you ever heard the phrase rule of thumb? How many of you have heard the phrase rule of thumb? How many of you have said the phrase rule of thumb? You are a bunch of wife-beating misogynists. (laughs) Did you know where the rule of thumb came from? In England, in old England, you could beat your wife. You could give your wife a spanking, but you could not use a rod thicker than your thumb. It was the rule of thumb. If you beat your wife with something thicker than your thumb, you could go to jail. So if you say the phrase, well, the rule of thumb here is, well, well, does that mean you embrace beating your wife with with a stick? No. Nobody believes that. It's what the word means today. Let's do another one. Christmas. Okay. Putting evergreen trees in your living room. Well, pagans used to do that because they would worship the tree. Does anybody who put a Christmas tree in their living room because they're going to bow down and worship the tree? Nobody does that. Okay. You wear a ring on this finger. Why? Because pagan says this is your lucky finger. Okay. You ever thrown rice or bird seed at a wedding? Yeah, we do it to just wish them luck and whatever, just you know, God's blessing on you. But pagans did it to scare the demons away so it didn't bother them on their honeymoon. We do all kinds of stuff today that doesn't mean that anymore, okay? Now, there are some things that are done today that are very satanic, okay? And it's, they still meet what they meant today. I mean, I'm like really anti-Halloween because you're dressing up like demons, goblins, ghosts, witches, all this evil. It's still evil. So now we can disagree, agree, disagree on that one, whatever. But all these other stuff—if you're saying, "Oh, don't say Easter, blah blah," blah, who, in the, who even knows that it means that? Okay. Anyway, why don't you tell us what you really think, Gary? I'm getting wound up this morning—I've had too much coffee or something. All right. That is the band. Come on up here, man. They did a good job this morning, didn't they? All right. They, we are closing with the song, right, or no? Or maybe we're not. Are we? Nathan, are we closing with a song? Or are we closing in prayer? Let's do it. Maybe I read it wrong. All right. Let's stand. And we're going to sing and worship the Lord here at the end. I hope you have a wonderful day uh, with your family. You celebrate this holiday. And uh, remind your kids what it's really about. And uh, you all have a great week. God bless you.